welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, so last week we launched Others, uh, and we've been sitting on that word for about 14 months now. It started even before we shared the vision for t- uh, that was together in 2019, December 2019. So this word's been sort of brewing for quite a long time and as we went through together and as we went through last year and as we went through really spending time on like the Bible, presence, health, um, together, connection, keep your love on, learning how to communicate. That's what we did last year. We learned how to um, have brave communication. We learned how to celebrate each other. We learned how to celebrate ourselves. We learned how to steward prophecies, steward testimonies, work out our love language, our temperament, what our fivefold grace is. We've, we learned all that stuff. We wrote it all down. We know what it is. And now we can live and lead out of that. We can celebrate ourselves because we did the work last year. And now we get to look at each other in our small groups. We get to look at each other at church because we know we've got a personal archive now. We know how we give love how we receive love we know what our grace is when we come to church so we get to minister to people hey i'm pastoral i'm a teacher i'm a i'm I'm apostolic in thinking i'm prophetic in thinking i'm an evangelist i know what i bring to the table and my temperament fits in with that and my love language fits with that and and we just get to go on this journey these are the testimonies that i've got these are the prophecies that are before me ahead of me and uh, and i'm excited because i know what i'm about and i know what they're about and i don't get to question them or worry about them um, because I've got tools, I've got communication, I've got honesty, I've got vulnerability, I've got a culture of honour inside me, which which releases grace for other people because I don't get to stumble over what they're not, but I get to champion and call out the gold for who they are. So that was all last year, valuing the Bible together, um, celebrating each other, not speculating, not gossiping, not, not just um, um, getting offended easily um, because that's not a new a New Testament believer does not get offended easily. Jesus says, blessed is he who doesn't take offense at me. Um, it's a really big deal. But we learned all that last year and we're living it out now. Um, and together was such a phenomenal year and it's launched us into others. Because if we don't understand together and us and Bible and, and presence and um, developing a personal archive and celebrating our uniqueness so we can celebrate others' uniqueness, we can't even launch into others. So I'm so glad that the Lord did that in, in everyone last year. Um, we've launched small groups this year, which is going to be the primary way that we really grow as a church moving forward. Everything happens in small groups. Um, of course, we celebrate Jesus and worship and share testimonies and share vision and direction and teaching on Sundays. But really, uh, small groups is going to be the central element of our church moving forward, which we've been talking about lots over the last couple of months. Small groups is where it's at. All right, here we go. We're going to get into it. Others, week two, last week was deep and insanely presence-based in this room. It was so sweet and so amazing. Um, and I'm going to just continue out of that. So we're going to look at a fear, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 in the Passion Translation. And Paul is writing from a jail cell to the church in Philippi. And he's saying, here we go. Look at how much encouragement you've found in your relationship with the Anointed One. You are filled, this is the truth of what he's saying, you are filled to overflowing with his comforting love 
you have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt His tender affection and mercy. Read that again. Philippians 2 verse 1. Look at how much encouragement you've found in your relationship with the Anointed One. That's what I was saying before. This is what we did last year. That all happened. Yes, so good. Paul's saying, guys, this has happened. This is so good and so true, and this is who you are. You are filled to overflowing with His comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt His tender affection and mercy. So He's laid a foundation for Ephesians 2. We laid a foundation last year for us to move forward onto, to build on top of. So that's what we've done. We laid the foundation last year. Of course, Together stays with us forever. Presence, Bible, health series, all the stuff, brave communication, learning the tools, that all stays with us. But we're launching from that. We nailed it. We did it. We stewarded it really well. The tools on the website, we embraced and lived out. So now we launch into others. So it's from that place of identity that Paul launches verse 2. It's from that place of the foundation, the, the salvation they received, their new identity that they received. And now he goes, okay, guys, I want to address some stuff. Because you're good, you're sweet, you don't have self-condemnation, you don't operate in regret and guilt and fear and anxiety and crazy stuff because you're so present with the Lord and His overflowing love surrounds you and fills you. From that place, I'm going to now encourage you and challenge you with what life is all about. So he goes into verse 2. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unabounded joy. Wow. And here we go, verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. But in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the Anointed One, has set before us. Let His mindset become your motivation. Verse 6, He existed. This is Jesus. This is the example that Jesus set before us. He existed in the form of God, yet He gave no thought to seizing equality with God as His supreme prize. Instead, He emptied Himself. Wow. He emptied Himself of His outward glory by reducing Himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death. And closing out verse 10, 9 and 10, because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He is now been given, he has now been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to his name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. Last week, I asked a question. I asked a question, and it was a big question. It was a, it was a strong question, and it was one that I feel like God is asking us, as I said last week, a final piece of the puzzle to this 
three, four years of culture building so that we can launch out of and live in heaven coming to earth every day through our life. And the question is, have you laid down your life? Have you laid down your life? It's a, it's, if we're not careful, if we live with self-condemnation, and we don't have a right view of ourselves. if we don't have a right view of how God sees us now, if we don't understand that every scripture is meant to be life-giving and full of hope and abundance and, 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 and love and grace, if we don't understand that there's no harsh scriptures, then this scripture can hurt us and offend us. But the question is, have you laid down your life? Have you laid down your life? This is not a new idea. It's not a new concept for us. It was part of the understanding and the revelation that was happening in our hearts when we were contemplating and seeking Jesus. Someone would have said it like, this is what it's about. It's about him laying down your life, uh, his life and you accepting him because of that and taking up what he did and swapping your life, giving up your life, handing over your sinful nature and everything that you've done wrong and taking up his righteousness and, and him living in you and you becoming one with him. Like this, is, this was the deal. This was the contract that we all said yes to. Yes, you can have my life. But I, I felt really strongly that a lot of us, and myself included, this has been primarily embrace through principle and not necessarily a lifelong practice where it becomes just normal where we can truly say I've laid down every single part of my life and everything about me is his my mindsets my thoughts my attitudes my decision making my growth my feedback my job my car my house my family it's all his all the time I'm challenged with that and I feel that as we move to lift our heads to see the individual, to see the one, to see people, to minister in power, to, to, to call things out that only God knows, to pray for people boldly in public, to, to raise the dead, to, to do what Jesus has called us to do. I feel we've got to address this question because if we don't, we're not going to lay a great foundation for others and we'll wonder why it's just not working. And I admit that this question's heavy and strong, but it's such a significant question because that there is a promise on the other side of this question. Have you laid down your life? And I feel like it. a lot of us have done it, myself included, by principle, where it was an acknowledgement. Yep, this is a great idea. I acknowledge it. Your life for mine. But when it comes to the reality of actually living it out, it's a challenge. So moving from principle to practice is where I feel God is inviting us into. Moving from having this idea of giving our life to Jesus and laying down our life, letting it go from a principle, a thought, an idea, uh, an embracing of a truth into actually a the, the, the reality of becoming a practice, that this is what we do. And when it goes from a principle into practice, the promise and the presence follow. If you don't experience truth, if you don't experience truth, it only remains a principle which leads to religion. Religion is principles without presence.
Can we acknowledge that God is really good all the time and only wants fullness and abundance for us? Can we acknowledge that? Can we acknowledge that this question is not easy? Man, moving from principle to practice will bring presence and promises. I want to highlight Brett and Tani again. I used it last week and I felt the Lord all over it. I'll probably do it a little bit quicker this week. But as I said, we, 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 we said yes to Jesus. We said, yes, you can have my life. But it's a whole other thing saying that on the moment on an altar call or in our bedroom or in the car or wherever we were when we said, God, you can have my life. It's a whole other thing for the next day, for the weeks, the months later. We can have an understanding of what it means. And I said that. Like Brett, he has an understanding of thought about what his life is going to look like when Tani and him have the baby. In principle, he knows that his life is going to change, like us, before Jesus comes in. We're understanding the guy leading the prayer, the things that are happening in our heart the weeks prior, people praying for us, an encounter that we've had. But there's a point where we go, yes, I want him. I say yes to you. You can have my life. It's by principle. We haven't experienced it yet. We've tasted presence. We've tasted revelation. We've tasted the truth of the gospel. We've, we've tasted the environment of church and faith and, and everything that was happening in that moment. But it was only by principle. There's been partial experiences of it. And Brett's had partial experience of it with friends that have had babies and conversations that he had. But he, he truly doesn't know what it's like to give up his life for his family and how his life will change and we joked around how he can't just go into the shed and say to Tani I'll I'll be here for seven hours with the fire and a couple of bevies watching the footy or the NBA like his life is going to change radically but again we can go negative on that we can go he can go negative on that and go I'm going to give up this and I can't do that and I can't do that and of course that's rubbish but our head is filled with that when we think about when we've got to give up it's like i I don't tithe because i'm giving up money but the kingdom is upside down when you give away he gives pressed down shaken up running over mark 632 the kingdom is opposite so when jesus says give up your life it's not give up your life so you're just going to be a just a worm and he dictates everything and you've got no say in anything no 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 he says give up your life so that my life can come flooding in, so that you will actually find life. Brett is in, and Tani, but I'm talking about Brett. Brett is in the most exciting time ever. Because in principle, he knows what is going to take place, but he hasn't actually put it into practice, so he can't actually know. But I tell you what, when he starts to walk that life of laying down his life for his family, the promises and the presence and the blessing and the abundance that comes from that is, is, is the purpose. It brings the greatest amount of pleasure that anything could bring when we fully lay down our lives. And that's what I feel like the Lord on. That when it goes from principle to practice, it brings promises and presence. I want to just highlight a few scriptures about laying our lives down. I just want to just remind ourselves of what Christianity is about, what the kingdom is about. That countdown's gone, by the way. 
laying down our lives. Can we look at John 10, 11? I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus talking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Man, I mean, have I laid down my life? I know I haven't in some areas. Have I, have I laid it down? I know I have in a lot of areas. But man, that list in Philippians is, is such a strong list. And I want to live that out. I want to live for you, God. I want to live for others. And I thank you, God, that you said that if you do this for the least of these, you've done it for me. If you've given water to someone, if you've given a coat to someone, if you've, if you've visited someone in hospital, Jesus actually makes the crazy statement that if you do that for people, you've actually done it for me. I want to live a life of others. I want to live a life of sacrifice. I want to live a life of laying down my life and I want to take Jesus up on his word that said, if I lose my life for his sake, then I'll actually find it. And I feel like that's where he's taking us, church. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave up for us gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're called to imitate God and follow the life of Jesus who gave his life up. John 15, 13, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Again, to have this thought as a principle and just say, yeah, 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 of course, you can have my life. Man, it's a whole other thing to live it out to have every decision that you make filtered through his voice. So we make no decisions based on lack. So that we make no decisions based on human understanding and what we can or can't do because of time, because of resource, because of money. But we actually lay our lives down. And if he says yes, then it's a yes. I want to get to that point in my life, and I'm sure you guys do as well, where every decision that you make, you, it's filtered through his voice. Where it's actually, hey, did you ask God? No, I didn't. Hey, why don't you ask him? Because he's got the best for you. He's got abundance for you. Laying down our life. Galatians 2.20, a really well-known scripture that I feel the presence on. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, flesh is fine, the soul, the, the life I now live in the body, this life I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Wow. Colossians 3.3, 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. For you died. Man, when this goes from a principle to practice, promises and presence is released and life is fully understood and the purpose for which we were born. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And I'll close with this scripture for this section. 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Wow, that's, that's a bold statement. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So the title, the example of love is that Jesus Christ 
laid down his life for us. And then that final point of that scripture, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Have you laid down your life? Such a big question. You know that love looks like something? Love looks like agape. It's the only valid description and definition for love. It's the Greek word for love. It's the word that God uses for love. It's the God love and it means an active, self-sacrificing love. And it's tied into, have you laid down your life? So what does this mean? What, what does this mean? Like, have you laid down your life? What does it mean? I wrote down a couple of things here. To have his will and his ways be the sole purpose of your life. To have his will and his ways be the sole purpose of your life. To put down our agenda for his. And in doing that, Jesus promises life. Wow. But when we don't actually, when I don't believe that Jesus actually works opposite and upside down to what I understand to be, like I give something and I lose it, that's natural. But the kingdom works when I give something, I actually get. When I give up something, I actually receive multiplication. That's how the kingdom works. And Jesus addresses it here in John 12, 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, if, it, if, if we lay down our life, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me where I am. My servant will be also. My father will honor the one who serves me. Again, we know that word hate is to prioritize and to categorize. Matthew 16, 24 to 25. This explains a little bit clearer what Jesus is meaning. Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Again, there's no harsh scriptures. Verse 25, if you hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So we've got John 12, Jesus talking about unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Then we've got him saying, hey, if, you're, if, you, if you don't give up your own way and lose your life then you'll, uh, and, and give up your life, then you'll actually lose it. But if you give up your life, if you lose your life, you'll actually find it. I want to highlight a verse in here that I think is really significant for us. It's after Jesus talks about that kernel of wheat falling to the ground and dying. He said, if it, if it, if it, if it remains only a single seed, nothing's going to happen. But if it dies in the ground, and it, it'll produce many seeds. So he's talking, about the, he's talking about himself being crucified. He's explaining, hey guys, it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. But then in verse 27, he makes an amazing statement. Can we go to verse 27? John 12, 27. So Jesus makes this incredible statement and then he hits this. He goes, 
Now my soul... So he's just charged them to give up their life. He said, if you hold on to this life, you're going to lose it. And then check out what comes out of his mouth. Now my soul has become troubled. And what am I to say? Father, save me from this hour. And then quickly he says, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. My soul has been troubled and what am I to say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. We know that Jesus didn't want to die. We know from the scriptures that Jesus didn't want to lay down his life. We know that in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, we know that he, he, snuck, he, he, not snuck off, he walked off, asked the disciples to pray, and he went and spent time with his father. And, and the Bible says that he was so troubled and grieved that he sweated blood. And he said three times, Father, if, if, if what I'm about to do, if, if there's another way, then please do that. Because I don't want to do this, but it's not my will, it's your will. I want your will to be done. He said the same thing here in John after he, after he implored his disciples to give up their life and the promise will be his life in exchange. And after that statement, he even said, God, save me from this hour. My soul's troubled. But then he reminded himself, no, 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 no. For this purpose, I've come. In the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood. God, I don't want to do it. No, no, no. Okay. It's your will. It's for your will. It's not my will. Your will be done. And there's something powerful in this. There's something about the, the life of Jesus that he didn't want to do it, but he did it. Because he, there was purpose in it. And I want to ask the question, have you laid down your life? And another question as we close is that I've been... The Lord's been asking for me, are you living for pleasure or are you living for purpose? See, in that moment, Jesus acknowledged he didn't want to do it. He sweated blood. How, how grieved do you have to be to sweat blood? But he said, no, 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 not, not what I want to do, but what you want to do. Save me from this hour. Hang on, hang on. No, no. For this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I came to the earth. Have you laid down your life? I'm still in process with that myself. I shared that last week. But God's been challenging me. Are you living for pleasure or are you living for purpose? Are you living for pleasure or are you living for purpose? Jesus said, it was for this purpose that I came to the earth. I was walking after I was doing some fast runs and I was walking along the river, Patterson River, and I saw some rowers and they were, they were probably school students. There was probably 40 of them all up in five or six different, um, they're not called canoes, are they? What are they called? Kayaks? They're like the Olympic ones. Um, and there was some intense training going on. This was like 7 a.m. And there was coaches with megaphones riding bikes on the side of the um, bank on the gravel path. And I'd just been lifting some fitness um, foundations in my life. So I was doing 1K sprints under four minutes, um, which is quick. Um, and I didn't, and, and I got to like about point, because I looked at my phone, I was like 0.6Ks and I'm smashing through like running three minutes, 50 seconds. And that's really fast. Um, 
and, and I was in my head, I'm like, I don't want to do this. It's not enjoyable. And I'm in charge of my life and I can just stop. And I'm like, yeah, but what's, the, what's my purpose? Like, I want to be fit. I want to be healthy. I want longevity. I want to set good examples. I want to just, um, I want my soul to be prosperous um, and my health and everything else so that the kingdom can flow. And I want a fully rounded, balanced, amazing, brilliant, nothing missing, nothing broken life. And I'm in this world of hurt, still with like 400 meters to go, wanting to stop because it wasn't pleasurable. But there was purpose in it. And I'm like, okay, well, and I'm, God's speaking to me. And he goes, he goes, what if purpose is meant to bring pleasure? What if you've got it the other way around, that you're actually living for, he, he's, he spoke to me and he goes, what if you're actually, your purpose is living for pleasure? Because if, if your purpose is living for pleasure, and avoiding pain, discomfort, and sacrifice, and avoiding all those things, and you're going to lose your life. And you're going to manufacture a life that I never intended you to live. And your purpose is pleasure, and it's not how it's meant to work. He's saying to me, my purpose is meant to bring pleasure. When you give up your life for my sake, and take on the kingdom and everything that I'm about, and my will becomes your way, uh, your why, why means reason and purpose for existence. When, you, when my will becomes your why, when my purpose becomes the point of your life, then pleasure is an overflow. And I felt like him remind me and I started looking around at the rowers and their coach was intense and they were training at 6.30, 7am and he's screaming at them saying, you've got more in you. Now that, that choice for them to be on that lake when it's 10 degrees... There's got to be some sort of purpose in those kids. If it's only for purpose, then uh, if for pleasure, then they've got a lot of other choices in life that they can do on a 6.30, on a cold morning, on a lake, to be yelled at by a coach. It's the same as an Olympic athlete. Olympic athletes will tell you that they, they are pushed to the brink. Their bodies are pushed. Their training and their scheduling and their routines and their rituals and their eating and their diet and their goal setting and their feedback from their coach is so rigid and crazy. But why are they doing it? It's because they've got a goal. They've got a purpose. They've got purpose. It's not for pleasure. It's for a purpose of winning. These kids on the lake, they're living for purpose. And I found myself in that sprint going, man, am I living for pleasure or am I living for purpose? Have I laid down my life? Have I given up my own way of thinking? And we can quote Psalm 37.4 all day long and go, well, he gives me the desires of my heart. Yeah, he does. But he also asks you to give up your life. He's the one that put all the dreams in you. He's the one that put the ideas in you. He's the one that, that wired you uniquely and celebrated how, how he sees you growing in the future and the prophecies made over you and all of the things that have been stamped yes over your life. He wants all of that to come to pass. But there's this thing that is meant to happen and that's this breaking. It's this seed actually falling to the ground and cracking open and being cracked and broken before him 
And this doesn't discount the grace message and the kindness message and the worship movement and the healing movement and the prophetic movement and the signs, wonders and miracles and the leading people to the Lord and having fun in the presence and, and enjoying God and understanding that he's fun and kind and good. But he's also Lord and holy. And he also asks us to give up our life in exchange for his so that fullness and abundance are our portion. Are you living for purpose or are you living for purpose? I'm going to read this final scripture and then we will close. Romans 12, 1 to 3. Is his will your why? Is his purpose the point of your life? Are you living for pleasure or are you living for purpose? Romans 12, 1 to 3 and we're going to land. Therefore, I urge you, this is Paul, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. We're going to hit verse 2 now, and specifically, so that. Okay, we know this. Let's read this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Paul makes this linking word, this therefore word, this because of all this, the conclusion is word, so that is that word. It's a linking word. It's an adverb. It's taking us from here to hear the thought of do not be to conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind is one statement and then we have this adverb which is so that and then we've got the promise on the other side so we've got this do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind we spoke about all of that last year and then Paul says so that it's a massive call he goes, so that. So all of that transformation, there's a point to it. There's a purpose to it. The life of Jesus coming, there was a point to it. The purpose was to model the Christian life so that we could live it. The point was to lay down his life so that everyone can grow and accept him and, and the world explodes in Jesus and kingdom and the way that it was meant to. And Paul says the same thing. The transformation by the renewing of your mind, it, it's not just for that. It doesn't just stay over here. But he says, so that. This is a challenge. Like, why are we getting transformed? What's the point? Why am I going on this renewed mind journey when none of my friends are? Why am I putting in the effort? Why am I growing? Why am I, why am I putting myself out there to pray for people? Why am I offering to pray for people that are in a coma? Why am I offering to, why am I putting my life on the line? It's because there's a greater purpose to our life. It's because the pleasure and the presence and the promises is meant to come when we take thoughts like giving up our life that are just principle based into practice based. And then we start seeing it outworked. And we go, you know what? Your purpose, your will is my why. Your purpose is why I'm alive. And we start to understand that, it, that when we get this mindset, when we start to give our life to Him, that true life comes. I think too many people are just trying to make their life better instead of giving it up. <laughs> like honestly, I've gone through seasons and years of my life where I'm just trying to make my life awesome 
and better and I'm living for pleasure. And God's just saying, give it up. And it's the most challenging thought. And if we're not careful, it can become self-condemning real quick. But Paul's like, guys, there's a purpose for your transformation. There's a greater purpose for your transformation. And it's so that you will prove the will of God. That word prove, other translations say approve, but just from some research, the New American Standard is, is bang on. And they chose to use the word prove for a reason. And it was the, the word is really your, your life, the transformation is so that you can prove to everyone that you come into contact that God's real. So the transformation that we've been going on, it's not insular. It's not just because. But it's, it's for this great exchange of, I want your purpose to be the sole point of my life, not me trying to have a pleasurable life. And you know the crazy thing? When we actually give it up, what comes around really quickly is all the life that he promised. And everything that we dreamed of comes to pass. The desires of our heart come to pass in the giving up of our life. It's an upside down kingdom. But until we truly give up our life, we're not truly going to gain his life. And we think that we can live partially with some of our stuff and some of his. And it's just not the way it works. Am I saying that we just give up and roll over? Of course not. We're so much a part of him. This intimacy, this growing in him, this worship, this, this, this presence relationship, this present relationship. And I feel him all over this. And I'm going to close with this statement. The girls are going to jump up. I feel like God is saying this. It's not in the pleasure that you find purpose, but it is in the proving the kingdom that you find purpose. And if we do that, it brings us pleasure. Yeah, so thank you, Jesus. That this proving the will of God brings pleasure. There's nothing quite like when you pray for someone, what it does to your heart, to your soul. And, and how quickly I forget that moment. That I know I'm born for that to impact others, to bless others. There's, there's, there's not, nothing quite like the thrill of impacting another life. That's why Jesus said, save me from this hour. Hang on. No, no, no. But my purpose is to die and lay down my life. God, rescue me as I'm sweating blood. But no, no, no. Not your will. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Because he knows that the greatest fulfillment that can ever happen to a, to a heart, to a soul, is when we're impacting other people our transformation journey is so that we would prove the will of god everywhere we go and come alive so god we we commit to going on this journey of asking these questions have i given up my life am i living for pleasure or purpose 